Paul's letter to Titus. Titus was a Greek follower of Jesus who was for years a trusted co-worker and traveling companion of Paul's. He had helped Paul in a number of crisis situations in the past, and in this letter we discover that Paul had assigned him the task of going to Crete, a large island off the coast of Greece, to restore order to a network of house churches. Now, Cretan culture was notorious in the ancient world. One of the Greek words for being a liar was kretidzo, to be a Cretan. These people were infamous for treachery and greed. Most of the men on the island had served as mercenary soldiers to the highest bidder, and the island cities were known as being unsafe, plagued by violence and sexual corruption. However, the island of Crete had many strategic harbors, and they serviced cities all over the ancient Mediterranean Sea. And so, from Paul's point of view, Crete was the perfect place to start a network of churches. Now, we don't know the details, but somehow these churches came under the influence of corrupt Cretan leaders. They said they were Christians, but they were ruining the churches. And so Paul assigned Titus with the task of going there to set things straight, and this letter provided the instructions. An interesting letter. It's not very long. You can read it in just a few minutes. You could preach the whole thing in less than an hour. We're not going to attempt to preach the whole letter today, but it had an impact on that island. Crete to this day is a part of Greece, and uh, Greece is in a mess as any democracy if it continues for very long, several centuries, just by accumulating the fulfillment of campaign promises, it leads to not having enough money to pay for stuff. They had people retiring at 50 years of age. Uh, not right away when it started, but it's the world's oldest democracy, and now they're in a mess. They need another revolution. Well, they were known, the people on this island were known as unproductive, lazy, liars. Well, today, Crete is the most prosperous province, state, county, whatever you call it, island that's part of Greece. They have the least problems. And I learned that from secular television. Can you imagine that? Could it be that this letter had an impact on them? To this day, their culture has so been changed by Titus's ministry on that island where he helped establish a bunch of churches. It's amazing, the power of the word. So in our context today, we're going to start with verse 6 of chapter 2. He's now talking to younger men. He's talked to younger women, older women, and older men. Now he's talking to younger men. Likewise, Titus, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. All right, Titus set the example in doctrine or teaching, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. In other words, nothing sticks. You're Teflon because you're walking in integrity, and if you're quoted and mud is thrown at you, it's because you're quoted out of context. All right. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters. Now, bondservants was part of their economy. We don't like the word servanthood in our free culture. We're hyper-individualists, amen? But in that culture, the way their economy uh, went, a person would sign up to be a servant to a household for a big chunk of their life to pay back a debt or to acquire freedom for other members of the household. And sometimes bond servants could get up to mischief. 
Their masters would trust them implicitly with everything, and they'd take advantage of the situation. So in our day, we can apply this to employees, exhort employees to be obedient to their employers. You ought to be the best man on the job. To be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, that means a lot of different stuff, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine or the teaching of God our Savior in all things. So how we behave at work is very important. Four, verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Yes, even in the 21st century. Looking for the blessed, blessed hope and glorious appearing of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. In other words, preach what I'm saying, and when someone's not abiding by it, rebuke them. Say, hey, stop it. With all authority, let no one despise you. Timothy, stand on your hind legs and be a man, and speak the truth and rebuke folks when you have to. Don't let anybody put you down. Don't be dissuaded by slander or whatever. Remind them, chapter 3, verse 1, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. Can you say everybody? Or nobody. <laughs> to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration, that's the new birth, and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly. Don't stop preaching this. Constantly. I read a book by an Argentinian pastor named Juan Carlos Ortiz. After the book, he went on to become well-known. In fact, he wound up being a staff pastor at Crystal Cathedral in California. But this book was entitled Disciple, and in the book, he talked about his church in Argentina that heard the same sermon from him for six months. 
he would get up and say, you got to hear it again. And he would preach it again. Why? They hadn't gotten it. So if you go to church and you keep hearing the same thing, maybe you visit churches, every church you go to and you're hearing the same thing, could be God speaking to you. It's said statistically that, you know, as the week begins to roll on, you'll only remember 6% of the sermon you hear. I think that's true, because as a preacher, I, I don't remember much myself. So I've got to affirm it constantly to myself even. These things... I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, I guess that's comparing kinfolks or your ethnicity, uh, contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. You know, some arguments go nowhere. All they do is stir up division. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would help apply it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, help me to share what I believe you put on my heart. Amen. I'd like to speak to you today on the subject, our citizenship or our earthly citizenship must be respectful. As believers, we are citizens in the land in which we're born or the land to which we've been naturalized. Um, my wife was a natural, became a naturalized U.S. citizen in 1982. I remember the glorious day, and it was done in two languages. There were hundreds of Vietnamese boat people in Houston they were becoming citizens that same day. So they did the ceremony in English and Vietnamese. So now my wife is an American citizen. But when she became born again, she became a believer. She became a citizen of heaven. And so now we carry dual citizenship. Isn't that illegal? No. In the 60s, the Supreme Court, as if we needed them, <laughs> explored this option, and Americans in certain cases can have dual citizenship. Well, I guarantee you, we've been born again. We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. You have a citizen today, and no matter what any court says. So our earthly citizenship must be respectful. It's just important. In this day and time when you see leaders being disrespectful, that's just a sign for us to pray for them. It's not a sign for us to do likewise. It'll backfire on us, I guarantee you. Our earthly citizenship must be respectful. Number one, we must be respectful of leadership based on what we read here in the Bible. Titus 3.1, remind them, the believers on this island, to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. So this would relate to our employers as well. Everyone in authority in your life, if it's a policeman waving you over, be respectful. Why do you want to diss somebody that can make your life miserable? Why do you want to do that? We should be respectful of everyone. So it shouldn't be, well, oh, i got to be respectful. It's a policeman. No, we should be respectful at all times, everybody. Everyone's created in the image of God, aren't they? So to say, uh, do you have a best friend named Beavis? That's not real, that's not real respectful. 
should be respectful of everyone, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Well, I don't think I should just roll over and play dead. No, you be yourself. You have a backbone, but you don't have to be disrespectful. You can say with all due respect and then let them have the truth, but do it in love. The words with all due respect doesn't give you the license to say whatever you want to say. It's just setting the stage for how you're wanting to say it. This is Jonathan Falwell. His brother is Jerry Falwell Jr., the, the leader of Liberty University. He's the pastor of Thomas Road Baptist Church. You can see him on TV somewhere, probably today, preaching. Great guy, tall, red-headed. He's a ginger, guys. He's good. As a boy, he witnessed something between his father and Larry Flint, the publisher of Hustler Magazine, and it was astonishing to him. His father and Larry Flint met in Florida for a debate. After the debate, Larry Flint asked Jerry Falwell, yes, the Jerry Falwell, said, can I ride back to Lynchburg with you on your private jet? Jerry Falwell said, sure. So Jonathan sat across from these two men, and to his jaw-dropping astonishment, they talked like friends. They talked about sports. They talked about food. They talked about life. They talked about politics. They talked about the issues of the day. These men who vehemently disagreed with one another had a civil conversation. So upon arriving back to Lynchburg, they had to give Larry a ride to his house. And after they dropped him off, Jonathan turned to his father, Jerry Falwell, said, Dad, how could you do that? That man is against everything you stand for. He fights against everything you're fighting for. And Jerry said, Jonathan, one day that man is going to need a friend. And it might be in the middle of the night that he's going to need someone to talk to. And he said, I want to earn the right to be that person that he called. Isn't that powerful? We ought to remember that in the past, our own lives were not always in order. This is how you can be respectful, to remember the day and time in your life when you weren't worthy of much respect. We haven't always been saved. Don't want to rattle anyone's skeletons. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived. Do you know what the problem with deception is? Is you're deceived. <laughs> Serving various lusts and pleasures. Living in malice and envy. Oh, man, that causes so much trouble in the world, envy. Hateful and hating one another. This is us. And yet God showed us mercy. John Newton, the man who wrote Amazing Grace, said, what will it profit a man if he gains his cause and silences his adversary? That's old English for saying, what do we have to gain if we win an argument and shut down those that oppose us? If at the same time, he loses that humble, tender frame of spirit in which the Lord delights and to which the promise of his presence is made. You may have won the argument, but you actually lost. Kind of reminds me of marriage, husbands. <laughs> you ever win an argument and you really lose? That's why respect is so important. What do you think of my idea? 
How do you spell stupid? (laughs) Not a good idea. We ought to remember that in the past, our own lives were not always in order. We need to remember God's abundant kindness, love, and mercy toward us. When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Not because I was worthy, but because he's merciful. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. While we were yet sinners, he wrote in another place, Christ died for the ungodly. Yep, the church is filled with the world's worst people. But thank God for his redemption. Not who we were, and we're not who we're going to be, but we're on the way, amen? We must not forget our future. Sometimes we get so upset, you think we believe this was all there is to living. Being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I like this translation. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. We should be the happiest people in the world. You know, in the religious world of theology, there's an ongoing debate for centuries between Armenians and Calvinists. Armenians are real heavy on human responsibility, and Calvinists are real heavy on the sovereignty of God. And those who are heaviest on both sides are the most unhappy. The Armenians, because you, can, you really can't be good enough. And the Calvinists, because they're mad at the Armenians. <laughs> I've, told, I've told Calvinists, I said, why are you so unhappy? You ought to be happy. You got it made. Moving them right along. <laughs> With all due respect, please receive those words in the kindest possible tone. Number six, we should constantly remind one another to maintain these Practices. We ought to be monotonous with it without speaking in a monotone voice if we can keep from it. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful. That's taking care. To maintain good works. This applies to our humor as well. We ought to know that Being respectful brings us blessing. He goes on to say in the last part of verse 8, these things are good and profitable to men. Any humans in the room? It comes back to you. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Freely you have received, freely give. We've freely received respect from the Father, but given us His Son, He so loved us, that we are to give that to others, even when they're not worthy. This is Jack Cambria, commanding officer with the hostage negotiating team. He served the New York Police Department as a hostage negotiator for 30-some years. And uh, maybe he didn't start out in that role, but he became the best at it. He retired in 2015. And when asked the secret to being a good negotiator, you know, to talk maniacs into giving, their, you know, giving up their guns from killing folks, or um, people from jumping off of high places, he says, the best negotiators are people that have suffered. 
They've experienced failure. They've experienced heartbreak because they're able to identify with the person they're reasoning with. He said, one of the earliest lessons I learned was in dealing with the homeless. I had a prejudice against the homeless. They were dirty. They were smelly. They often were thieves and liars and told big tales, and they were mentally ill. And one of the first ones I had to deal with had tried to skip paying a cab fare. And upon arresting him, I got his bag and searched it for weapons. Found no knives, no guns, but found a script to a play called Crabs in a Barrel. A metaphor for this guy's life, trying to get out of the hole. He said instantly, he became not a criminal in my eyes, but he became a playwright. I began to see this man's potential. It changed my perspective. He says, to be successful in negotiating with hostage takers is to get them talking. They want to be heard. Maybe we could be crime preventers if we could talk to angry people more than we do. Listen to them. Reason with them. Who knows what world of hurt we could put a stop to. We need to refrain from being very involved. Sometimes you just get sucked into it and you find yourself in the middle of something. But we need to try not to be involved in divisive and unfruitful issues. Avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. You shot my dog, I'm going to run over your cat. Tit for tat never ends. Did you hear about the guy that ran over his neighbor's cat? coming home from work. So he quickly picked up the cat and put it behind his neighbor's car. The husband's car. And uh, he sat in his kitchen and looked out the window and watched. And a few minutes later, the husband next door got out of the house, jumped in his car, and backed over the cat. He thought, yes. And then, to his amazement, the husband stopped the car, saw the cat, picked up the cat, put it behind his wife's car. I'm sorry to all the cat lovers in the house. You know, they do say if you're a cat lover, your IQ is higher than the normal dog lover. Anyway. I'm <laughs> this man's a professor at one of our universities. He wrote a book called Less Than Human. He studied genocide. And his book's entitled Less Than Human, Why We Demean, Enslave, and Exterminate Others. And he discovered this was in common in the cultures where genocide happened. It's where the labeling of people with subhuman names took place. The Nazis called the Jews rats. In Rwanda, one tribe that killed the other tribe, the tribe that killed the other tribe called them, for years, called them cockroaches. What do you do with vermin? What do you do with pests? You destroy them, right? Even our own country, many times, the natives were called savages, savage beasts. When we label people, it somehow gives us the okay to do things that we would never do otherwise. We must not fellowship with, number nine, nor follow divisive folks who will not repent. 
reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. In other words, make room for Jesus. Don't hang out with that person because they'll try to infect you with their poison. Anger is one letter short of danger. Proverbs 22, 24 says, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered. Or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. The Message Bible says it like this. Don't hang out with angry people. Don't keep company with hotheads. Bad temper is contagious. Don't get infected. Make room for Jesus. As many times, divisive folks are angry folks who just won't, what is it, little girls are singing all over the world today? Let it go, let it go, let it go. Injustice happens. Stuff happens. That's why Jesus died on the cross, to pay for the sins that I committed and pay for the sins of the people I can't stand so they too can be forgiven. Because guess what? God so loved the world, he loves them just as much as he loves me. Well, I thought I was his favorite. Well, we're all his favorite. Back to hanging out with the wrong people. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9, Paul said, I wrote you in my letter. This is a church in Corinth of Greece. The Greeks got lots of attention in the New Testament. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Verse 10, I did not mean, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to keep not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So when we're called brothers and sisters, when we're believers, we're held to a higher standard than unbelievers are. And if in stubbornness people refuse to repent from being divisive, you have to make room for Jesus in that situation. You just do. Otherwise, they will bring in division and infect others and destroy the fellowship of the church. We need to be aware of stubbornness. You know, the word stubborn or stubbornness is not in the dictionary just to take up space. It's there because it's possible to be stubborn. And if you continually reason with a person that's being stubborn, eventually you're just going to get wore out and maybe start agreeing with them. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Love them when you see them, but don't be fellowshipping with folks that are out to sow discord because of their anger. Our citizenship must be respectful. And so concludes the sermon. You got the point? All right, a closing story. I love this story. I learned about it recently. Patrick Green was a cab driver, an atheist cab driver, in San Antonio for years. And in his work, oftentimes Christians would not pay him when they found he was an atheist. I'm not going to give money to the devil. And sometimes even Christian apartment owners wouldn't rent to him because he was an atheist. And of course, he kind of, you know, caused that himself, but Christians weren't really following the Bible, too, in their deal. He's one of the guys that would sow discord to have Christian uh, symbols removed from public places. In fact, he had filed a lawsuit, or was in the process of filing a lawsuit 
against the courthouse in Henderson County, Athens, Texas, to fight them, sue them over having a nativity scene every Christmas season. And then he backed off because he got hit with a detached retina. Well, a believer, sister, approached her pastor, Pastor Graham at Sandy Springs Baptist Church. I spoke to him this morning just to verify the facts. When you find out things on, on the internet, you got to verify. Who knows that's true? Abraham Lincoln said that, right? Just because it's on the internet doesn't, believe you, doesn't mean you have to believe it. This is what happened. He, at this uh, woman church member's encouragement, contacted Pat Green and says, can we help you? Pat said, well, I could use some groceries. So they took up a collection. And when Pat received the check the next week, he was amazed. It wasn't $50, it was $400. And then he was astonished because every week more money came. And then people from other churches in Athens caught wind of this and began to send him money. And his defenses against receiving charity went down. So he, he went on the offensive and opened himself a GoFundMe account. And then atheists began to send him money. <laughs> Paid his medical expenses. Helped him survive. But the reason I contacted Pastor Graham was uh, there's some news reports out there that he was going to move to Athens and visit that church. And so I spoke to the pastor on the way to church today. He says, well... Uh, that never happened. Don't know that that was ever going to happen. He hasn't visited church yet, but he did send a star to us to put in the nativity scene. Isn't that awesome? So I told him what I was doing today, preaching on our earthly citizenship should be respectful. He said, you know, the gospel is offensive enough without us becoming offensive and getting in the way of the gospel. Think about it. The gospel's offensive. First the bad news, so you appreciate the good news, right? Just like black velvet shows off a beautiful diamond, the black velvet is you're a sinner and you're separated from God and you need a Savior. What do I do? Jesus came and died an unjust death and God accredited to you the account of whoever will call on his name to be forgiven of their sins. That is an offense to a thinking person. And then for us to add more offense to it, well, you're just a moron, how do you spell foolish, and all that other stuff, get out of the way. So thank you, Pastor Graham, for the word of wisdom. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would not wilt when dealing with tough issues. That we would have backbones. We would communicate clearly. That we would stand for the truth in righteousness and not yield to unrighteousness. Help us, Lord, in our communication to season everything we say with grace in the light of the love of God. Help us to remember the pit out of which you've dug us as we communicate with those who are still enslaved in sin. Give us wisdom as believers in this day and this hour. Lord, I pray you to anoint every person here to read that book. Maybe they're not readers, but Lord, may that be a book they read this year before the year's over, and may it have an impact on their thinking and our communication as we deal with all of these crazy issues that's going 
through the land. In Jesus' name, help us not to be crazy, but to be sane, wise, and thankful, and effective witnesses for you. And Lord, we pray for Pat Green. Lord, that the story's not over for him, that you would continue to deal with him. In Jesus' name, amen.
May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. The peace that passes all understanding. The peace that comes from victory and not from compromise. The peace that brings life and wholeness. May the Lord bless and keep you in every way. And may you be effective in this disrespectful culture. May you be effective to stand for the truth. Follow the example of Jesus. Do what he said. Bless those who curse you. Go get them, tigers. In Jesus' name, God bless you.